Support for Radioactive's Punk Rock Farmer comes from Go Biochar. Welcome to a Pioneer Day edition of Radioactive Summer Break. I'm Laura Jones. Al Dine, KRCL's Punk Rock Farmer, he's got the night off. But coming up, a classic conversation to reshare with you tonight. Al Dine talking with farmer Reno DeMeo at the downtown Salt Lake City Farmer's Market, which is open tomorrow at Pioneer Park. Now, that is a great idea for your actual Pioneer Day. Go talk with a farmer at Pioneer Park. I've also got a classic celestial report from Skywatcher Leo T. Squids in Space coming up as he explores many cultures one sky on the show. Also, a birthday party for the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, and why it's still vital to securing rights for our disabled neighbors 31 years after its passage in Congress. I'll keep expanding the notion of who or what is a pioneer by talking with bookseller Ken Sanders. He's coming up to share his take on Pioneer Day through his lingua franca, books. Let's get started with some fresh and homegrown music tonight from Salduro. This Logan band is live at Funk and Dive Bar in Ogden this evening. Then they've got an all-ages show at Y Sound in Logan tomorrow night. Fresh and homegrown, it's The Fix by Salduro on KRCL 90.9. People say you change and you fell down the stairs, but I don't think the honesty's crack your
KRCL, your community connection since 1979. Food security means that you know where your next meal is coming from. The Utah Food Bank is a nonprofit that helps hundreds of thousands of Utahns plan their next meal. To learn more about hosting a food drive virtually or at your office, visit utahfoodbank.org. Skywatcher Leo T here. Look up, look around, get a little lost in space. And they know where they are, but NASA has squids in space. Yep, NASA has sent dozens of baby squid from Hawaii to the International Space Station for research. Now, you know, the squid are highly intelligent and can do trigonometry like nobody's business, you know. Uh, oh, well, maybe, uh, who knows. But uh, actually, the baby Hawaiian bobtail squid were raised at the University of Hawaii's Kiwalo Marine Laboratory. They were blasted into space earlier this month on a SpaceX supply mission to the International Space Station. The Honolulu Star Advertiser reports Monday that researcher Jamie Foster is studying how spaceflight affects the squid, that in hopes of bolstering human health during long space missions. And naturally, I had to see if there were some squids way out in space, and well, there is. There's a, there's a new one called the Giant Squid Nebula, a couple of years old, uh, recently discovered. It's in the constellation Cepheus, which is a twinkly constellation that looks kind of like a tall cartoon house. Cepheus resides with many deep sky objects in the northeast sky next to the W of Cassiopeia. You can find some fun pictures and charts on the Skywatcher Facebook pages as well as other resources for this segment. And a little easier to find in the night sky, high in the northeast, large blue-white Vega sparkles. Candle Flame Arcturus is in the southwest, and Icy Blue Spica is closer to the southwest near the horizon. And let's take the Skywatcher spaceship a little closer to home and take a look at Mars, where JPL relays that the Mars helicopter took off on its eighth flight. Ingenuity traveled further than scientists hoped on Monday, staying aloft for 77 seconds and landing about 400 feet from its mothership, the Perseverance rover, which is doing a little bit of exploration on its own, performing some simple tricks like turning carbon dioxide into oxygen while it's up there. And speaking of space exploration, it was 45 years ago in June 1965. It was the space age when the Vietnam War was raging, the civil rights movement was in full swing, and peace and love were starting to bloom as the Beatles were recording Rubber Soul. This was the scene as NASA launched Gemini 4 via a Titan II rocket. It was the second piloted Gemini mission. The spacecraft stayed aloft for four days and astronaut Ed White performed the first spacewalk by an American. Astronaut Jim McDivitt took some spectacular photos of Ed White with the blue and white Earth behind him. On Skywatcher Leo T, it's one sky, many cultures. Many eyes in the peacock's tail feathers are associated with vision and wisdom. In Greek mythology, the bird was a symbol of the goddess Hera, who kept it in her temple as a many-eyed guard. Muslims of Java believe the peacock guards the gate to paradise. In Europe, peacock mythology varies depending on the culture and may represent an omen or symbolize the soul. We hope for a good omen for the soul from the peacock. The peacock constellation lies in the southern sky. So keep your many eyes open, look up, look around, and let's get a little lost in space. Skywatcher Leo T. A classic edition of Skywatcher Leo T. You can follow him on Facebook. Check tonight's show notes for a link. I'm Laura Jones, and you're listening to Radioactive Summer Break, the Punk Rock Farmer Friday edition here on KRCL.
While Al's got the night off, I've got something from the vault to share with you in a moment. But first, the Americans with Disabilities Act turns 31 on Monday. And here in Utah, the Disabled Rights Action Committee, also known as DRAC, will be throwing a party called Disability Pride because art is for everybody. Here's Drax Heidi Pomerla with more. Before we had the ADA, and this is this is in the 90s, keep in mind. So not that long ago. No, not that long ago. Disabled children didn't actually have the right to attend public school if the school felt that they were too complicated or had too many needs. Um, a public school didn't have to admit them. So when you think about 30 years ago that students were not allowed in school because they had disabilities. That's pretty wild. Um, We're also looking at big things like employment protection. Disabled people became a protected category under the Equal Employment Act because of the ADA. We have building considerations now. We have new construction that requires um, certain codes to be met for the ADA. Um, We have access to services uh, that we didn't before and that they are funded as well. Um, So the ADA has created a way for disabled people to navigate the world easier and to be able to have some legal ramifications and legal protections if those don't get executed correctly. What has it meant in your life? Um... For me, I'm disabled now and can't work anymore, but when I was working, um, I did have to take advantage of employment accommodations. Um, So what that means is that your doctor submits a form to the HR department saying, this person is under my care and needs this accommodation. That means your medical information doesn't have to get disclosed to anybody. It's just a doctor saying, this is what they need. Now, the ADA states that employers can make the decision as to what constitutes a reasonable accommodation. But the fact is, is that we didn't have any before. Mm. So without this, you wouldn't have a lot of people in the workplace who are currently there now. And for me, that's what got me through um, probably the last 10 years were accommodations and things like FMLA that can be used by disabled people on an intermittent basis to manage health conditions. Um, That's a separate law, obviously, but I don't think we'd have any of these conversations without the ADA. And the Disabled Rights Action Committee is active in Utah. It's interesting because um, disability can be so out of sight, out of mind for the mainstream, so to speak. We need nonprofits like the DRAC to stay on top of things. Yeah. um, A big problem with disability is that we are invisible. Um, Those of us with visible disabilities, physical, physical limitations um, are erased from society anyway. And then the, the great numbers of us, including myself with invisible disabilities, um, we're erased even more. So our rights are consistently being challenged. And I mean, take a look at the pandemic. 
we were told, um, oh, those, you know, few people should just stay home and they're acceptable collateral damage. Well, that's us. Those are our lives. So that's why we're here fighting. We fight for the rights of every disabled person um, because we refuse to be ignored, silenced or erased. So coming up, the 8831st anniversary celebration. Tell us who, what, when, where, why, and what people can expect, how they can participate. Yes. So this is actually really exciting. Um, we've had ADA anniversary events in the past, and we've always had, you know, different organizations tabling. We've tried to make it an outdoor event, which is actually kind of tricky in the middle of summer when you're dealing with disabled people because heat makes everything worse. And even, even abled people out in the sun, it's pretty hard in the middle of July. So this year, um, we've decided to do a mixed format. And so that's in order to accommodate people who can both come locally and people who may still be at home or need to watch from home or would like to watch elsewhere. It's definitely something that's been sensitive to the pandemic. Our event will be masked because... We want to make sure that everybody's needs are met and accommodated. That's really the biggest part of it is that um, this year is a combo event where it hasn't been in the past. So that's um, something that's really exciting for us. We're going to have that live streamed with live captioning and an ASL interpreter so that this will be acceptable to everyone. The event is on Monday, July 26th from 2 to 5 p.m. It's going to be held live at the Division of Services for the, Visually, for the Blind and Visually Impaired. And that's at 250 North, 1950 West, Suite B here in Salt Lake City. And then if you'd like to participate via live stream, it'll be a virtual Zoom event. And you can sign up for that at our Facebook page um, for Disabled Rights Action Committee. Or you can go to disabledrightsutah.org for more information. So those are, those are the important details. And from 2 to 5 p.m., we're going to be having just an incredible group of people. I'm so excited to see perform and to see their art. We've got some local, like, local favorites, like Talia Keys will be coming. ZCO Dance Company out of New York has prepared something for us. They are an all-disabled dance company. They're a professional dance company made entirely of disabled people. So we are really excited to see their performance. Um, we've got local stars of uh, dance and burlesque like Havoc Lucivia and Miss Brawling Beauty. We have a duo called Deaf and the Musician where one person is deaf and the other person creates the music and they create an interactive experience for people of different hearing needs. We'll also have blind musical performers. We will have um, visual artists. There will be a tree actually at the event that you can only see in person that is a specific sensory tree that was designed with visually impaired and blind people in mind so that it's all a tactile experience and actually I'm going to be singing too <laughs> so I'm like wait I don't put myself you know in the celebrity category by any means but um, a lot of us are going to be participating because this is a really important showcase for us. Well, Heidi, thank you for giving us some time so we can help you spread the word. Definitely. And um, for more information, again, check out our Facebook page. Um, it's Disabled Rights Action Committee, Utah. We also go by DRAC. So if you search DRAC, D-R-A-C, you should be able to find that as well. 
And then again, the website is disabledrightsutah.org. Heidi Palmerlow of the Disabled Rights Action Committee. Check tonight's show notes for a link to their 31st anniversary celebration of the ADA, happening Monday afternoon in real life and online. And now let's dip into the vault for something from Aldine, KRCL's punk rock farmer. Back in June, we went down to the downtown farmer's market at Pioneer Park, where Al spoke with farmer Reno DiMeo. We're talking to Reno, and Reno, I, I see tomatoes, and I see cucumbers, and I see squash, and everything, peas. How, yeah. do, how do you start? When do you start so early? Well, I started fooling around around January. And uh, it's a lot of effort because the temperature is up and down. Yes. But since I don't have too much going on, I love to get up in the morning. You are in the greenhouse. You are in like springtime. You know? Yes. You see those little things coming up. And uh, so it's an anticipation. The greenhouse give a good two months ahead, you know. That's so, so you have a crutch. You have an extra time because you have a house, a gr- actual greenhouse. Yeah, I know. I have extra time because I'm supposed to be retired. <laughs> and uh, I'm not the type to sit on, on a chair or watching TV all day long. I have to do something. I know, know? but you told, me, uh, you told me last year or the year before, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be over here. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but the doctor told me, he said, hey, Reno, if you can do, it's much better sitting home because if you don't feel good because of the little pain here, pain there, if you sit home, you are going to have double, triple the pain. <laughs> you know. So, that's it. so it, it tell me to to do it, no matter what, to do it. Don't stop. Right. That was the advice of my doctor. Okay. And uh, and it's true. Sometimes it's tough. It's hard because I cannot get the help like I used to. Right. But uh, when you see the the color, you see the yes. result of your hard labor is really, really satisfying. So you, know? you like to cook. You used yes. to own the restaurant, Reno's. Yes, I what sh- are you cooking from the garden right now? What are you? What's your What's your thing that you're you're doing the most right now that you're cooking? You know what? I made some zucchini parmigiana. Mm. Uh, the variety of zucchini that I have, they are from the Middle Eastern. They are a little short, but they are so tender. So you slice them and you process like the eggplant. Instead of the eggplant, you use the zucchini. They are sweet. And then you, first you bake until they are tender and then you put in an egg wash. Yes. And then between two slices, you put mozzarella cheese. Yes. You can put a little prosciutto or you can put a little mortadella and then you make it like a sandwich. You put in the butter again in the egg wash and then you put in the oven, finish there in there. You know? And if you like with a little marinara sauce, yes. it's just because it gives it zest. Zucchini That's doesn't have too much. Right, you know? right, right. And then some grappa? Grappa is something forbidden, you know. <laughs> oh, suddenly we're on camera. And because I'm like, all the time you don't know what heck you are doing. <laughs> so that's not the. the so let, let's talk a little bit more Italian. Let's talk about figs and fig trees. Va bene, ma è ancora molto presto. Lei ha detto vuole parlare italiano, parliamo italiano, no? Italiano, yes, sì. So right now, what are the figs doing in the greenhouse? Do you have no, fruit no, yet? No, 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 they don't do good in the greenhouse. What? See, uh, figs, they won't grow very good inside because they attract a lot of aphids, a powder mildew, black mildew, and so it's an outsider plant. The figs, they are two crops. One is called the flower of the figs, or profiki, 
there are small quantity of figs they come earlier to generate a little fly that they use to pollinate and uh, the fruits for later on. So uh, maybe I have 10 pounds of those early profiki or zucchini, uh, the flower of the figs. The real production come always in the end of August or September, mm -hmm. depending on the temperature. This year, I don't know what the heck is going to happen because uh, it's so hot. I see small figure coming down, a little one, but I really don't know. It's very hard to to read the weather because it's uh, always has been unbelievable. You know? Hey, you know, my tree is out outside, like you said, yeah. and I cover it in the winter time, yeah. and then I uncover it, and the trunk on it is maybe eight inches around now. Oh my! And God. it's a beautiful tree, uh -huh. and has a north, south, east, and west branch. Yeah. And in a good year, when the weather is good, I can get maybe three hundred figs off yeah. my little tree, my yeah. small tree. Yeah. But some years, like you said, the weather does yes, a little yes. thing. It, it, the, the fig production depends on January, December, or February. When the temperature is so cold, it will damage some of the. Uh, branches inside uh -huh. the vein or whatever it is you know uh -huh. and, and then you are going to have leaves and no fruits right you know right right so it's a, it's a winter damage I would say it's winter damage what do you have coming what's the next you you already tomato, have tomatoes tomato, yeah you're gonna have more tomatoes yeah tomato I, you know I, I I go strong on heirloom tomato I love the heirloom tomatoes and you know? what's the what's the one for cooking you like the best uh, I, I like uh, La Roma for cooking because it is mostly pulp and not too much water. Uh -huh. The heirloom is good for salad, yes, you know, it's like, yeah, 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 sandwiches. Yeah. But there is another variety, it's called the Vesuvius, that the seeds come from the foot of the volcano Vesuvius. Uh -huh. you know, and they give the name to them. Uh -huh. All the restaurants they are pretending them. And right now there is another one, it's called dates, datteri, that is almost like a grape tomatoes. Uh -huh. And uh, for quick dishes, what they do, they squeeze 10 tomatoes in the pan, uh -huh. garlic and olive oil, and then they make they the add, fast sauce, yeah. not uh, the one you cook a yeah, long time. Because the, the, yeah, because the trick, they want to enjoy the freshness the, of the flavor the of the tomato. burst of the flavor, yes. If you cook it for an hour, it's, a, you know, it's not the same. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. they do the base and then, you know, garlic, olive oil, and this tomato, a touch of wine, and then they can put shrimp, they can put clam, they can put mussel, you can make meatball, you can put a diced pancetta, you can put a diced prosciutto, oh you can goodness. put mushrooms. I mean, there are so... Are you going to fix all that? Yes, <laughs> yes. I don't know what, you are carrying me away. You are taking my cigarette. <laughs> I'm sorry, I cannot talk to you. You know, the, the, my tomato, the, a lot of the tomatoes, they're named after the towns in Italy, yeah. where they came from. Yeah. Um, San Marzano. Uh, the one that I like is called Abruzzese. Yes. And it's a beautiful pear. Uh -huh. A beautiful pear-shaped tomato, not too much pulp. Yeah. The blanching, the skin comes off very easy. Yeah. Oh, beautiful for the making the sauce. Oh yeah. my goodness! Well, as you know, 19 region Italian. Everybody says my tomato is better than yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there are some that uh, uh, the nature create them. The soil give the air participation and the sun. Like the volcano Vesuvius, he created so much uh, dirt that is very, very rich volcanic soil. Yes. And that's where the, they do the best. San Marzano, Vesuvius, Candelina is another variety. 
and uh, so we believe in that. We believe that we have the best <laughs> tomato because of the ground of the Vesuvios and because of the sun, because the heat that goes down to Sorrento, Amalfi, and Pompeii, they are all there. That's the production area. Uh -huh, you know. uh -huh. So what's the trick for the soil here, Al and Nino? Well, here is clay. Can't keep my R's and my yeah, straight. yeah, it's clay, and uh, mine. Uh, fortunately, there's a little gravel, and he helps to break down a little bit. And so you, you have to mulch them. You have to put any organic matter, branches and stuff, All the time. and try to break so that they are not very compact. Compact soil, the roots, they won't go too no, much. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Well, I'm very glad you're still here at the market, and it's really good to see you and talk to you, my friend. Okay. So good. Gracias, señor. Si, si. Arrivederci. Hello, my friend. Aldine, KRCL's punk rock farmer, talking with Reno DiMeo at the downtown Salt Lake City Farmer's Market. By the way, it may be a holiday weekend, but the market is open tomorrow from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. at Pioneer Park, 3rd South, 3rd West, downtown Salt Lake City. Pick up some fixins for your Pioneer Day barbecue, why don't you? I'm Laura Jones, and you're listening to the Radioactive Summer Break. Here's some more homegrown music. This one's from a band that will open for Lake Street Dive on September 24th at the Twilight Concert Series in downtown Salt Lake. This is Home by Pixie and the Party Grass Boys on KRCL 90.9.
darkest night in the thickest crowd. You're in my heart, you're in my head, you're in my soul. And when I'm with you, baby, I am home. Yes, I am home, yes, I am home, yes, I am home. Yes, I am home, yes, I am home, yes, I am home. Yes, I am home, yes, I am home, yes, I am home. Yes, I am home, yes, I am home, yes, I am home. Yes, I am home, yes, I am home, yes, I am home. Yes, I am home, yes, I am home, yes, I am home. Yes, I am home, yes, I am home, yes, I am home. Yes, I am home, yes, I am home, yes, I am home. Yes, I am home, yes, I am home, yes, I am home. Yes, I am home, yes, I am home, yes, I am home. Yes, I am home, yes, I am home, yes, I am home. Yes, I am home, yes, I am home, yes, I am home. Downsizing your car collection or simply tired of looking at that project car sitting in the back of your driveway in pieces. Either way, consider donating it to KRCL and our friends at Cars Inc. will take it from there. No hassles, no fees. You get a tax receipt and KRCL gets a donation. But best of all, the music you love never stops. Visit the support tab at krcl.org for more information and how to donate. Thanks, y'all. Welcome back to Radioactive Summer Break. I'm Laura Jones, and right now I've got a special interview to share with you with one of my favorite people in Utah. It's Ken Sanders of Ken Sanders Rare Books. All week long, I've been talking to different folks to widen the lens on who or what makes a pioneer. And I thought Ken might be able to shed some light on the topic through his fascination with Utah and Western history, Mormonism, and more. Of course, always through the language of books. Here's that conversation. Pioneer Day. Look, let's just get it out of the way first. This is a local religious holiday. It's statewide. Yeah, I get that. All the banks are closed. Everything's closed. But we're, we're not closed. It all goes back to Brigham Young leading the Mormons to the Valley of the Great Salt Lake in the 1840s. Now, this yes, this was kind of a terra incognito. The only good map we had of the place was was uh, Fremont's map of 1845, and it's mostly blank spots. But Brigham Young knew exactly where he was taking the Mormon people. Exactly, uh, they had a lot of trials and tribulations. Granted, but newsflash: this place has always been inhabited. The Spanish people came up out of South America and Mexico and conquered the southwestern United States for Spain. And then it became Mexico. And 
the whole time, what do you think the Native Americans, the misnamed Native Americans, the Indians, from that silly Italian Columbus who didn't even know what he discovered and called, thought he was in India, why did he name him Indians? But we're stuck with it now. So what do you think 2,000 years of indigenous people think of all these waves of uh, illegal immigrants coming into their country? So let's get rid of the myth that the, the Mormon pioneers were the first people here. By saying that, I am not trying to denigrate Mormon LDS Utah pioneer history. I celebrate it. I love it. You don't have to be a Mormon. You cannot tell the history of the Western United States without the Mormon people playing a vital role in that history. I acknowledge that and there's wonderful books that we're going to talk about that explain all that. But let's give up this notion that we were the only ones here, okay? It's offensive, it's incorrect, it's simply not history. Of course, as we know, History has a way of being written by the winners. <laughs> so they leave things out, like I'm straying a field now, but the Custer battlefield back in the Black Hills, it, could that be the only battlefield in our country's history named after the loser? What, what's that about? So we have, let's use Pioneer Day here to celebrate our own indigenous cultures, whether it's the Native American people, the Ancestral Pueblos, the, the Navajos, the Utes, the rest of the historic tribes that inhabited, uh, you know, the Northern Rockies, the Southern Rock, Rockies, the deserts, the Great Basin, all of the tribes, and the Hispanic and Mexican people that came here, and everyone else, including the Mormons. Let's, let's have it a true diversity celebration of everybody's history. So let's, should we switch to books now? Let's go to books. So Helen Papanicholas wrote a great book called The Peoples of Utah that is, each chapter in the book covers a different indigenous and ethnic minority here in Utah and is written by a representative of those minorities. The history of the, the uh, Utah Indians uh, by Forrest uh, Cooch is that is the best one volume history we have documenting 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 where did that come from <laughs> whoa documenting um, the history of the native peoples indigenous to Utah which and and not only are we ethnically diverse, we're geographically diverse. Where else can you get 13,000 mountains? And we're the western terminus of the Rocky Mountains. We're the beginnings of the Great Basin and the Salt Flats and the whole Basin and Range country. We're the, we encompass three quarters of the Colorado Plateau, which gives us five national parks and more national monuments and state parks and we we probably should have 25 national parks here we gotta we got enough beautiful land to make let's let's go for 25 forget the mighty five let's do the mighty 25 and we're loving them to death anyway we're destroying them so we're not even gonna have that legacy left all right where do we want to go next oh I, I, I think went off on a tangent we're supposed <laughs> to do the book so old school books it all starts with John Charles Fremont and his great, the Charles Proust map of the West, which 
mostly is unexplored country, but that, that was the AAA roadmap that Brigham Young used to bring the Mormon people here in 1847, as uh, we so famously know. Captain Howard <clears throat> Stansbury with the U.S. Army came out here from 1849 to 52 and not only circumvented, circumnavigated the entire Great Salt Lake, but they went across it too, and they named all the islands, they found Kit Carson's uh, uh, spyglass cap, and they produced the full first real map of the valley of the Great Salt Lake, from the lake to the Wasatch Mountains, and the, one of the many values of the Stansbury map, it still has all the original Indian names on the side canyons and the creeks and the waters that flow into the valley. It's the only place I've ever seen those names written down. And we have, from there, we have John Wesley Powell, the great explorer that came down the Colorado River and first explored both the Green and the Grand Rivers, which nobody knows what the Grand River anymore. The Colorado River didn't begin until the, the confluence of the Green River and the Grand River in the middle of Canyonlands National Park, just above Spanish Bottom. Um, the Colorado River Compact of 1922, uh, the state of Utah decided to commission a survey, well, what's the true waters of the Colorado? Is it the Grand River or the Green River? Well, if you know anything about river segments, it's not the discharge or the volume of water, it's the length of the river segment. And the Green River, which begins up high up in the Wind River Mountains of Wyoming, a beautiful spot, is the true headwaters of the, Grand, of the Colorado. The Grand River, its other tributary, which technically has more water flow, except not this year, ah, there's no water coming from Colorado, is not. The Green River is, is the true headwaters of the Colorado, not the Grand. And as proof, the now named Colorado River comes out of Grand Lake, Colorado. There's Grand Junction, there's Grand View Point, there's Grand County. There are three dozen Grand names on the land, not Colorado, because the river was the Grand. This is a, this is a sticking point of mine because nobody understands. All these press right now about, you know, Boulder Dam and Lake Mead and Powell uh, drying up, they always talk about the headwaters in the Colorado, and they are wrong, every single one of them. It's in the Wind Rivers of Wyoming. So, okay. Wind Rivers of Wyoming, I'm going to remember that. Off on another, <laughs> more, back to books. So, we want to, so we, we've done a little bit. We're, do, we're doing this fight. We can't cover it. I have an entire store full of tens of th thousands of books about this region and this place. That's your specialty. Well, yeah, so we can't cover them all. <laughs> we'll just get your uh, favorites so, on that chair well, right there. You want to read early 20th century books about the Mormon people. Wallace Stegner's Mormon Country Cannot Be Beat. It's, it's divided into two parts. One, the Mormon people and the, the so-called Gentiles that we're so familiar with. It's got great stories of, of, of the whole social order movements that Brigham Young did in Orderville, Utah. It's got Marie Ogden and her, and her home of truth colony again down by Canyonlands where they went 
to suffer the end of the world. It's got the discovery of Dinosaur Monument, the fabulous adventures of one Everett Roos who famously disappeared here in 1934. It's really, really a great book. Mormon Country, Wallace Stegner. And a companion. This is the story, The Gathering of Zion, the story of the Mormon Trail by Wallace Stegner, is the account, uh, various accounts, of uh, how the Mormon people came out here from Nauvoo and Far West and other places and settled here. And it's really, really good. Pulitzer Prize winning writer. No kidding. Sticking with the 19th century, how can we talk about Mormons and not talk about Mark Twain? Roughing It is his account of a stagecoach ride prior to the joining of the rails in 1869, of his fabulous stories of meeting Brigham Young and some of the wives and being given a copy of the Book of Mormon. And it's just, it's laugh out loud funny. Uh, they proselytized him. They, 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 they certainly they did. And tried he, to recruit him. It didn't work. <laughs> Mark Twain, after his book review of the Book of Mormon, he said, if you took all the heretofores and it came to passes out of the, the work, you'd be left with merely a pamphlet of Mormon. <laughs> Coming into more modern times. Yes. Well, so we also have to do pioneer authors. Wallace Thurman, native Utah, early 1900s, West High School graduate, University of Utah student, went on his raised by his grandmother here in Salt Lake City right about the time the uh, uh, birth of a nation movie revived the Ku Klux Klan in America he was African American and he was using parlance of the times a homosexual can you imagine a gay man growing up in Salt Lake City circa 1915 a gay black man yeah and what's this one called the blacker the berry that rings a bell it's the old uh, the blacker the berry the sweeter the juice mm. this novel uh, is it a it, it's a fascinating novel we don't have time for book reviews he wrote three novels he went to the Harlem Renaissance where he was roommates with Langston Hughes, Aaron Douglas, every Zora Neale Hurston. He wrote in his second book, Infants of the String. He pretty much, under aliases and pseudonyms, he attacked every single one of them and said, why are you paying attention to all these white people? Why don't you get real, write something real, and quit paying attention to what, what white people want you to be? He was one of the pioneers of the Harlem Renaissance. Not so famous anymore, but who knew? A Utah native. Similar, May Swenson, the great uh, Logan, Utah, uh, um, from a long line. She had, I think, a dozen siblings, Swedish immigrants to Mormonism. She became one of the most widely anthologized poets in the United States through her long career beautiful beautiful lyrical poems there's there's a reason why she still matters there's these people Bernard DeVoto the great Ogden historian and one of Wallace Stegner's many mentors at the U of U when Wallace Stegner went here uh, he wrote three beautiful histories of the West a one-volume condensation of Lewis and Clark and my favorite Bernard a little essay small essay book called The Hour 
which is in praise of the cocktail hour. He wrote a hundred-page meditation on the cocktail hour. You're gonna have to name check that for quarantine cocktails. Charles Kelly, the first superintendent, although of uh, Capitol Reef National Park and historian and mm, crank. I mean, <laughs> Charles Kelly fought with everybody, but he's one of our great historians. Dale Morgan, the deaf historian of it just extraordinary. I mean, his book, I got it right here, paperback, in print paperback, of, of The Great Salt Lake is still the best one-volume book it's the best book ever written on the Great Salt Lake, and it's 80-some years old. And let's not forget our pioneer women. Let's not forget Juanita Brooks, who grew up her whole life hearing tales of the Mountain Meta Massacre in her St. George home. And by 1950, she had published her own version of it, even though she was scared to death of being excommunicated from the church she still believed in. Unlike her friend, Fawn Brody, David O. McKay's niece, who went on to write, to my mind, the, uh, the best brilliant biography of Joseph Smith called No Man Knows My History. Um, there's a new, more church-approved biography uh, out called Rough Stone Rolling that also is, is, is definitely worthwhile reading. It's a dichotomy of Mormon history that is getting better now, but for the longest time, you've either got, frankly, either vitraholic anti-Mormon screed or faith-promoting fluff. So now we're at least to a place where it's getting better. And speaking of women, Virginia Sorensen, she wrote a novel about a romantic triangle between Joseph Emma Smith and uh, uh, Eliza Arsenal. Lucy Mack Smith was Joseph Smith's mother. There you go. Uh, Called A Little Lower in the Angels and her fellow Mormons in Provo, Utah in the 1930s and 40s shunned her. And it scandalous. Broke, it broke her heart. Broke her heart. She was one of the great novelists as, despite having only written one novel, Maureen Whipple's The Giant Joshua is an absolutely brilliant Mormon coming-of-age novel set place in St. George ten years after the infamous Mountain Meadow Massacre and its ghost haunts the whole the whole novel absolutely brilliant so there's these, these half a dozen really great pioneer mormon women authors as well and flash to the 1980s and she terry tempest william naturalist at the utah museum of natural history at the time has gone on to worldwide acclaim possibly one of our most famous authors refuge in a natural history of family and place using the Bear River Migratory Bird Refuge as a metaphor for what happened to her and her family uh, through the downwinder tests of the 1950s and other that left Terry at age 30 having the matriarch of her family having watched her mother, her grandmother, her aunts, and all the women in her family die from breast cancer from allegedly caused by the atomic tests of the 1940s. Brilliant, beautiful book, beautiful author. Ellen Malloy, Raven's Exile, another great author, died way too soon. Edward Leaders, retired professor at the University of Utah. He taught generations 
of students how to be writers, including Terry Tempest. And this, the Clam Lake Papers, it's a 20th century Walden that takes place in the north woods of uh, uh, Minnesota. And it's a beautiful, beautiful lyrical book that nobody knows exists. A Utah writer. Uh, and not only a Utah writer, but he literally turned out hundreds. He made hundreds of Utahns into writers. Uh, going backwards for a minute, John Held Jr., his dad, John Held Sr., ran Held Engraving, where at a young age, John Held learned how to make woodcuts and engravings for printing purposes. He went on to be the artist of the jazz age in America, and his he invented the term flapper, and there was not a magazine in this country in the 20s that didn't have a John Held Jr. cover on it. And he also did the, not for The Great Gatsby, but he did the dust jacket art for almost every one of F. Scott Fitzgerald's novels. And this and is a great book. What is it called? It's called Held's Angels. And, you know, there's, there's our flapper girl and our flapper guy. Uh, can you have a flapper guy? I guess. <laughs> but it's just, I mean, his artwork defines the Roaring Twenties. And he's another, he's a homeboy. There's so many of them. We've talked a lot about the literature of the region, but there's also a lot of music from the, the Faithful's hymn books to contemporary artists. Eliza R. Snow and all of her hymns, the Mormon hymnals that go back to uh, the very first Emma Smith hymnal. And interestingly enough, in the 19th century, the Mormon people, per the leadership at least, uh, and this was not uncommon in the early to mid-19th century. Fiction was frowned upon. You read histories and religious works, but this is, this is Mel Herman Melville, Emily Dickinson, Edgar Allan Poe, Mark Twain stuff. They, they viewed it with suspicion. They, it was only in the late 19th and into the 20th century that Mormon fiction even became a thing and we alluded to some of the authors but the one thing we didn't do and it's parallel to that is the hymnals and the music because particularly religious people always have music uh, some are better at it than others um, well I think I, of all the my ancestors the Welsh who came to the uh, state and the choirs that came out oh, of the Welsh community yes. I'm intimately familiar with that history I know more about the Tommyknockers and the Mines. <laughs> they were I know Welsh. a bit about those too. There's I, a great bar in uh, in uh, Twin Falls called the Tommyknocker. Is there really? There was. I don't know if it's still there. So the song. So, and I'm I'm not a musician, and I'm not a history of Utah music, but I've known so many great musicians here over just my lifespan. And when I was a kid, I met Bruce Phillips, you Utah Phillips, the golden voice of the great Southwest. And uh, Rosalie Sorrells, the Idaho gal, the traveling lady. Uh, got, I got to know these people well over the years. Katie Lee from Jerome, Arizona. Chantouse turned Glen Canyon lover. And there's just so many uh, wonderful, wonderful musicians that uh, come out of this reason. We, we, we have a richness of them. And we have a mutual friend that has a couple of songbooks that you have. Kate McLeod came out of the East. She's resided here for 
good grief, 45, I don't even know anymore, M virtually her entire adult life, most of it, and she's one of our finest singer-songwriters, and I, I'm not going to sing anything to you because we both get fired for that. <laughs> um, but in her Kate McLeod songbook, she picked out 52 of her, what, her, her personal favorites of the songs she wrote. And songwriting, it's a unique form, but it's interwoven with poetry. And, and this, she performed an entire live concert here that she recorded called uh, Ken, uh, Live at Ken Sanders Rare Books that featured all songs that books had inspired her to write. Not necessarily her favorite books, but for whatever reasons, the muse spoke to her and she wrote wonderful songs about John Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress, William Least Heat Moon, Teresa Jordan, just uh, uh, Leslie Marmon Silkel, all these great, great authors. And this is from uh, Butch Cassidy his history, and her song is Butch Cassidy Was Here. And I want you to just listen to the words. Before he was a rustler, he was Robert Leroy Parker, born in Utah in 1866. He was the first of 13 children, once such a little babe, with no appetite for a simple life, and neither would it stay that way. The ground here is so dry, it can choke the means of living. Nature's only kind itself when it's being warm and giving. We've tamed it with provisions, with hats and farms and schemes. Why should Bob's life be tamed like that for the sake of someone else's dreams? And then the chorus of the song, she repeats over and over again between the verses. Some say it's all in how you look at it, ma'am. They say it's all in how you look at it. So he took to rustling cattle from the long arms of the rich. He fought against the onset of big business. Then he took to stealing fortunes from the mining company's spit. And he grew to love the smell of gold and he grew to love the chase of it. We are an animal of language, and when all is said and done, when he changed his name to Butch Cassidy, he sealed his fate on the tongues of the lawmen and women and the cowboys and the young. Now people still wonder in his outlaw trail and guns. Ken Sanders and his take on who or what makes a pioneer. Check tonight's show notes for a reading list based on our conversation. I'm Laura Jones, and that's our show tonight. Al Dine, KRCL's punk rock farmer, will be back next week with more true tales from the agri-hood and fresh and homegrown music. Let's go out with some more of that. This is Salt Lake City by Doug Winch on KRCL 90.9. Thanks for listening, and have a great Pioneer Weekend, everybody. There's not a soul out tonight in Salt Lake City Just a lonesome golden angel blowing trombone in the rain He's got himself a steady gig in Salt Lake City I hold down this bar stool hoping you come
Big Dipper, fill my cup. Jesus brought you to me. You showed me religion free from pie in the sky. God gave us rock and roll, driving movies. We taught each other everything except how to say goodbye. Salty tears. 